If you're interested in what China's doing in Africa and the Global South, you're going to want to subscribe to the China Africa Project. We've indexed every major news story going back years, and it's easily searchable by country, topic, or keyword. Plus, we're the only source for daily analysis on all of the big stories related to Chinese engagement in Africa and throughout the developing world. With a subscription, you'll enjoy full access to the site. Plus, you'll get our popular daily email newsletter that comes out every morning at 6 a.m. Washington time. Subscriptions start at just $7 a month for students and teachers and $15 a month for everyone else. To sign up, just go to ChinaAfricaProject.com slash subscribe. Once again, that's ChinaAfricaProject.com slash subscribe. The China in Africa podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Africa-China Reporting Project at Wits University in Johannesburg. The ACRP aims to improve the quality of reporting on Africa-China relations through reporting grants, workshops, and other opportunities for journalists. More information at africachinareporting.co.za and our dedicated training website at africachinatraining.com. Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast, a proud member of the Seneca Network from SubChina. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden, the senior China-Africa researcher at the South African Institute of International Affairs in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good morning to you, Kobus. Good morning. Kobus, today we're going to talk about coffee, and coffee is a really fascinating subject in the China-Africa relationship. And, and let me take you back to 1989, and that was the first time that I went to China. Uh, back then, I was studying in Taiwan as a student, studying Mandarin, and then I had a winter break, and we had a particularly long winter break, uh, four or five weeks, so I wanted to go up to, to China. And we had some friends who were staying in Beijing, and before I went to Beijing, I called them up and I said, is there anything from Taiwan that I can bring you? Because back then, the supermarkets in Taiwan were much better stocked than they were in Beijing. And the family said, if you could bring us some coffee, that would be really such a treat. So I thought, okay, coffee, sure, fine. Now, let me remind you of what 1989 in China looked like. This was a time when they had no Starbucks, they had no... Uh, no supermarkets, really. Food was still given out as part of ration books in these coupons that you had to go. There was really no color in China at that time. Everybody wore either brown, black, gray. And it was a very different China than it is today. Unrecognizable, totally unrecognizable. So I get up to Beijing and I give four tins of Yuban coffee. Yuban's this American brand of freeze-dried coffee. And I remember the grandfather who I was staying with he literally started to cry. And it's an incredible moment because when you think about it today, when you go in Beijing, there are Costa coffees, there, are, there were Luckin coffees, and there's Starbucks all over the place. And the idea that anybody would cry over coffee is just absolutely inconceivable. Today, China's coffee market generated $11.5 billion in annual sales. This is a market that's expected to grow 10% a year over the next five or six years. Coffee consumption is increasing at an annual rate somewhere between 15 and 20%, and how far we have come since 1989. In fact, uh, China is Starbucks's second largest market, second only to the United States. Right now, there are about 4,200 stores across the country, and they're hoping to add another 1,800 stores in the next year or two. Think about that. 
900 stores a year. That's almost three stores a day in one country. I mean, it's just phenomenal. But most of that growth is happening in the big tier one cities, what we call the Beishang Guangshan, so Beijing, Guangzhou, Shanghai, Shenzhen, Tianjin. That means that the rest of the country, the tier two, tier three, tier four cities, these are the inland cities, for the most part, don't drink coffee. And in many ways, coffee is a very interesting drink in China because unlike, say, the United States, where coffee is the everyman's drink and tea in some ways is considered a more elitist drink, in China, it's the opposite. Tea is the everyman's drink and coffee is considered an urban elite drink. And so as that now moves into the countryside and into the suburbs and into the tier two, tier three cities, it's going to be interesting how quickly that market can expand. Now, I want to give you a little flavor of the coffee market in China and the potential and why it's so important for countries in East Africa who want to tap into this huge market. Last May, Taobao or Tmall, which is Alibaba's online shop shopping platform, they did a live stream to sell coffee. Now, in China, live streams are a really popular way on Taobao to, to sell things. They have a video with a, a celebrity, and they kind of pitch it like a QVC-style type of shopping thing. So they put up 3,000 bags of Rwandan coffee weighing around a ton and a half and they said, we're going to put this up for sale and we're going to see what it's like. And this was all part of Alibaba's electronic world trade platform. That's a program that they have to bring goods from Africa into China. Ambassador James Kimonyo was on hand, as well as Internet celebrity Wei Ya, who hosted the event. Now, here it is in Chinese. I'm going to play it once just so you get a flavor of how fast a ton and a half of coffee went. Four. Three, two, one. They're now open. And so that's it, Cobus. <laughs> one second. One second. And a ton and a half coffee went. Now you can see why people were so excited to say, we want to do more of that. Really interesting. And it shows you the enormous potential of selling into the China market and what it looks like in real life, not just in that virtual context, but there it was, Kobus, a second, and it was all gone. Yeah, it's really amazing, you know, because it really it really shows the size of the Chinese market um, and the way that once once Chinese consumers latch onto something, that it, it changes the, the kind of global economy for that product. Well, let's take a look at Uganda. And Uganda is really keen on tapping into that same potential of the market that Rwanda benefited from in that Taobao promotion where they sold a, a ton and a half in just one second. Uganda exports to China about $40 million of goods last year. And these are according to UN figures, fruits, coffee, tea, spices, the usual things that we see coming out of a number of different East African countries. Interestingly, imports from China, $1.35 billion dollars. So you see an incredible imbalance in the trading relationship between Uganda and China. So 40 million sold, 1.35 billion imported. Lots of room to make up there. Coffee is by far one of the most important exports. It generates around 20 to 30 percent of the country's foreign exchange earnings, and they feel that there's a lot of upside to selling more to help close that trade deficit that they've got with China. And then there's been a recent push by the government to develop coffee exports with the goal now of increasing exports to 20 million 60 kilogram bags by 2030, which is five times 
the current amount. The people who are going to try and make that happen are joining us today on the line from Kampala. Uh, Franda Tumukunde is a Kampala-based farmer who is also the chief marketing officer of Doorstep Foods in Uganda. A very good morning to you, Frandon. Good morning to you, Eric. Thank you for this great opportunity. Yes, and we're also joined by Dr. Emmanuel Liamulemye, who is the managing director of Uganda Coffee Development Authority, which is a government agency that promotes the Ugandan coffee sector. A very good morning to you, Emmanuel. Uh, thank you, Eric. Good morning, everyone, and uh, I hope you had a good cup of coffee, especially if it was uh, Ugandan coffee. Here in Vietnam, we don't have Ugandan coffee, so after we talk about China, we're going to have you talk about maybe coming down to Southeast Asia as well. It's a tough market here in Vietnam to sell coffee simply because Vietnamese coffee is also especially very, very good. But Emmanuel, let's start with you. You work at the Ugandan Coffee Development Authority. Your job is to help get Chinese consumers to really enjoy that taste of of Ugandan cup in the morning. Tell us a little bit about how you are going about entering into the China market. What's your strategy? Uganda is coming in in China in a very big way, and I want to assure uh, listeners and viewers that... uh, uh, in a few years, we'll be testing Ugandan coffee, and we are doing it in a very uh, simple way, but rather thought through strategy. Uh, Uganda first came to China in 2003 uh, through a, a joint venture with China, uh, a Chinese company, and we've learned lessons over the years, how the, the, the system works there. Uh, we have had some setbacks, but also we have had some lessons to learn from. Uh, right now, we, we, we have just completed uh, a coffee uh, promotion strategy for China, how the Ugandan coffee can penetrate in China. And we believe working with the Chinese, uh, we can be informed on how we can do it better. But also with the... Uh, with the coffee roadmap, which is the Ugandan coffee strategy for increasing uh, coffee production from 3.5 million bags to 20 million bags uh, by 2030. Uh, uh, it has also been informed by uh, reasons worldwide how this uh, increased production can, uh, can be factored in also in terms of the market. And for China, we are looking at a structured demand whereby we offset the imports, as you rightly mentioned, by our exports. Can we, for example, work with, uh, between China and, and Uganda and mention about some of the goods which are coming from the state-run corporations can be uh, offset by exports uh, of coffee to China? Uh, with those kind of preferential treatments uh, through bilateral agreements, uh, we believe this can happen. We have, for example... Uh, a similar strategy that is happening between uh, Tanzania and, and China, where the Chinese are saying they need cassava for their starch industry. So whatever is being produced as cassava in China, rather in, uh, in Tanzania, is having a market in, in, in China. So this is the kind of discussion we are looking at, where government to government can discuss about this structured demand to offset the imbalance of trade, and also where, uh, as government, we provide that opportunity for our Ugandan coffee exporters to take advantage of the growing uh, demand of coffee in China. 
Frandon, you know, kind of as, as, as a farmer, it's, one can definitely see the, the potential here, but what are some of the challenges um, that, that Uganda faces in getting, getting its coffee to the China market? The biggest challenge here has been financing uh, because as farmers down here, uh, they are mostly affected by the middlemen. These guys uh, buy coffees at uh, uh, cheap, cheap places in the village and they sell at exorbitant places in the city. So if the, fi- if the farmers are financed well, uh, here we're going to solve that challenge. The other challenge is uh, bad farming practices, but now that UCDA as a body came in hand, uh, they have patterned with these uh, lead farmer, these lead farmers, and they are doing. They are teaching them about good farming practices. So when we talk about the challenges, the other thing that comes to mind is just the enormous scale of the Chinese market. And entering into a market like China and building awareness for your product is very, very difficult. Simply because it requires a lot of money. Emmanuel, how are you going about? spreading awareness about Ugandan coffee so that people know about it without having to spend tens of millions of dollars like other products do in the mar- in the China market. Uh, Eric, we are looking at uh, three ways. Uh, and just remind you that uh, actually Alibaba, Uganda was the first uh, was the first to contact Alibaba. And at that time, their interests were a bit different. Uh, and we've learned lesson that we have to be persistent and consistent with our uh, with our strategy, but what we are looking at is the uh, online uh, platform. Uh, we know the the big population in China are the youth. The youth are affluent, and they are using more of uh, online uh, online marketing tools. They are uh, most of the all, nearly all the Chinese youth have the, the uh, mobile phones. They can access the internet, and therefore. If we look at the social media, we look at the internet connectivity, we can do a lot of online uh, trading, uh, online advertisement, and uh, try to simplify what is, uh, what is more trending for the youth. So those are the kind of uh, marketing tools that have come in from the strategy uh, by the Chinese working with us. And do you, like Rwanda, have a deal with... Alibaba to do something like what they did on Taobao? Well, of course, uh, like I said, we lost an opportunity. We should have done it better. Uh, but what I can also inform you is that Uganda has the biggest volume of coffee growing up in, uh, compared to, to, to Rwanda. And our focus is on specialty coffee, uh, the high-end coffee, the premium coffee. So, yes, uh, Rwanda has taken advantage of the online trading with the uh, with the Alibaba, but considering the growth they have, uh, uh, the growth in the cafes in in, in China, uh, they can't they won't be able to satisfy the market as Uganda would do. So we are running from those reasons, and we are trying to look at different platforms, not just the Alibaba. We can look at even the. Uh, uh, programs like WeChat, which are used by every uh, every Chinese youth and other other people. We look at other trading platforms coming up and, and uh, other online trading tools. So, yes, uh, Alibaba happens to be the the great Amazon of China, but we we don't think we believe it was one of the trials the the, the Amazon rather the Alibaba had with the. Uh, on coffee, 
Uh, and since Rwanda, as a small country, small volume has succeeded, uh, we think if we knock on the door of, uh, of Alibaba, they can readily agree, especially considering that uh, Ugandan coffee is now ranked number three in the world in terms of quality. So once, once they, they start learning about the, the uniqueness of Ugandan coffee, we believe uh, uh, Alibaba can open for Ugandan coffee. Uh, and also uh, considering that we, we have big volumes, we have very good coffee, they could be sure that we can consistently supply their market uh, and meet the, their demands. Frandon, the Emmanuel mentioned the you know so some of the kind of regional competition. Obviously, Uganda and is is in you know being in in East Africa. Uganda has quite a lot of competition in relation to coffee. But like Kenya, Rwanda, um, and Ethiopia are all famous for their coffee. Um, can you talk a little bit about about how Ugandan coffee is is different, um, and then how um, how you guys are planning to market it to 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 make to to build the brand of Ugandan coffee compared to all of the other countries in East Africa? Thanks, Kobas. Uh, for Uganda coffee, Uganda is the birth of Robusta coffee. So th- that, itself is, th- that itself makes it different from other African coffees. And the other thing is that uh, Uganda is well placed uh, according to the topography. Uh, the equator line passes here and uh, uh, we, we, with all these high altitude that we have in Uganda, uh, we are producing very nice coffee. And then for the strategy on how we are penetrating into the market, uh, personally, uh, my, my strategy has been simple and uh, I've been using referral basis. I sell to a client, then a client refers me to another client. Uh, but at uh, the end of 2019, I managed to partner up with a, a few Chinese here who are trading online, like on Tmall, uh, Taobao, Pindodo. So uh, we were looking at how we can uh, expand this to reach um, mostly in fast tire cities in China. And then uh, the, the, the beauty about it is, is that uh, China itself has a growing population and which is uh, 500, uh, million, 500 million people who are, who are projected to reach uh, uh, in 2015 uh, these are middle class people. So this is entirely just less than Africa's youth population. So with this kind of, uh, of people, we are looking at how we, we, we are looking, we are seeing a positive. We are going to, to be, we are seeing at a very good roadmap and we're going to penetrate these markets, especially on online. And Frandon, you have had the chance to spend quite a bit of time in China. You've gone back and forth between Uganda and China. And I'd like to hear about some of your personal reflections of when you are in China and you see the market changing and you see places like Starbucks everywhere and Costa and up until recently there was luck in coffee. But you see a coffee culture really taking shape in the tier one cities. What do you tell people when you're on the ground about Ugandan coffee and where you're from and the farmers? Tell us some of the personal stories you've had when you're on the ground in places like Shanghai. Personally, the first time I went to China, I thought China was just like Kampala because uh, I had never stepped in China. I just went on the internet. I googled about uh, uh, the, 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 the youngest coffee markets in the world. So I got myself in, in China and I, I thought it was just uh, a small city, but I was shocked. Uh, 
to their consumer preferences and the taste of the coffees. Uh, because previously these guys were drinking uh, uh, teas, but they are shifting to drinking coffee. And for every 100 meters, uh, it, uh, according to the cities I went to, I was seeing a Starbucks uh, coffee shop. So uh, what I tell these, back, these people back home, especially my farmers, is to plant more coffee and practice uh, the very good farming practices. Uh, and the other thing is uh, I also tell uh, other young people, like my generation, to go and plant more coffee because farming back home uh, was more for the poor. They think if you're a farmer, you're poor. But now we are seeing it. We are seeing changes. We are seeing more people uh, go going back to farming. So uh, we're likely going to have uh, more produce on, on, on the coffee side. And uh, my message to them is let them plant more and more coffee because the market is there. It's huge. And I've seen this with my eyes. And um, I can assure we're going to penetrate in these markets. Support for this podcast comes from the Africa-China Reporting Project at the Wits University Journalism Department in Johannesburg. The ACRP provides reporting grants, workshops, and other professional development opportunities for journalists. Follow the ACRP on Twitter at WitsChinaAfrica or visit africachinareporting.co.za. Emmanuel, can you talk to a little bit about the the kind of breakdown of the different kind of coffee products that you're planning for for the market? Like, is is at the moment is the bulk of it um, unroasted beans, kind of, and then being roasted on the Chinese side, or are you guys also roasting and gr and grinding and, and exporting it in that form as well? The current strategy for Uganda is uh, threefold. One is. Uh, uh, specialty coffee, looking at the high-end markets, uh, that means very high quality premium coffees. Uh, that is on one hand, uh, but we also have a segment of commercial coffees, which are the, for the normal, uh, the average consumer. But our main strategy is the high-end coffee, uh, specialty coffee. And then we are, we are also looking at the roasted and ground coffee. Uh, this to us is the, uh, is the main focus we want to, to be pushing so that we, we benefit the farmer who is uh, producing the coffee. Uh, if we can have a cooperative or a few farmer groups which are exporting roasted and ground coffee uh, could make money coming directly to the, pocket, uh, to the pockets of the farmer. So we are, uh, we are in, in this and we are really uh, looking at how we can support the private sector, penetrate that market uh, by body uh, addition, and which will give ultimately the, the farmer a good place in the global trade. So let me understand this a little bit more, because the conversation that's been going on a lot right now in terms of African exports, not just to China, but to many parts of the world, is what can be done to move African commodities up the value chain? So more of the wealth is captured on the African side rather than on the destination as to where it's going. So you're saying by roasting the beans and processing the beans, that adds more value and goes into the pockets of the farmers rather than sending raw beans to China and let them do the roasting and where they capture more of the value. Do I understand that correctly? That's correct. I, but I also mentioned about the category of, uh, of the specialty coffee, which is, uh, yes, green beans, but which also attract very high price premium. And this we are, look, uh, we are working with the 
the Yunnan Coffee Exchange, which is uh, uh, another alternative to the New York and the and and Futures, a platform which is going to be targeting, uh, which will be another alternative to them, uh, which will be uh, when you, even if you're exporting green beans, uh, it's very, very high-end market that you are targeting, and, uh, and therefore we are looking at as much as possible maximizing the value for the farmer. For those of you who are not familiar with Yunnan, it's a province in southern China, and they've got a coffee exchange, much like there's a cocoa exchange in uh, Hunan province in Changsha. So these regional hubs are becoming increasingly important for African commodities, coffee in Yunnan, cocoa in Changsha. Yeah, and one should also mention that so that they are, you know, that they are kind of displacing or symbolically displacing these these traditional hubs for for trading. Um, you know that 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 used to be mostly be located in the U.S. and Europe. Um, um, Franklin, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about about that as a, as you know, kind of the, the the emergence of these kind of exchanges in in China. Like, what what kind of effect does that have on on the coffee economy in in the world? And and you know, kind of like, do they offer kind of additional options for farmers for farmers like like the like the farmers in Uganda? I would say for these exchanges, it's a very big win for Africa because. Uh, these guys are trading, are introducing trading in non-resource products, uh, and mostly they're encouraging value addition. So, uh, this China-Africa cooperation is going to be good. And more, if these guys can, uh, like I was talking to one of those guys, if they could extend finance to here in Africa, and uh, it goes down to this farmer other than uh, these middlemen who take. Uh, who buy the coffee and gain more, then it would have be a very big benefit to our farmers down here. But I, it is very commendable on my end. Friend, and you keep coming back to the farmers, and I know that the farmers is a very important part of your personal mission in all of this. So you're interested in the business side, you're interested in China, but you're also interested in Uganda's small-scale farmers and helping them succeed. Talk to us a little bit about the importance of the China market and opening up this opportunity for expanded sales of coffee into China and what impact that would have on farmers at the personal level. I would say, uh, according to statistics from International Coffee Organization, the coffee consumption in China has been growing at a rate of 16% per year. And China being the youngest coffee market. Uh, this is like the new El Dorado for Western brand. So on our side, if, uh, if we can have these 500 million uh, uh, people, uh, the middle class people taking our coffees, the cosmetic uh, consumption of, of our coffees will we, we lead to sustainable development. Uh, here in the country, Emmanuel um, Franklin mentioned that that one of the challenges you know faced by by Ugandan farmers was was re kind of reforming their farming practices, um, and we we also see that particularly on the high end and in, in the coffee market, there's increasing kind of emphasis on particular farming methods with, with certain certain people, uh, for example, emphasizing shade-grown coffee um, and, and, you know, kind of highlighting the kind of ecological benefits of, of responsible coffee farming. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about changes that you've seen coming in, in the farming methods followed um, by Ugandan farmers. There are a number of ch- uh, changes we are having here. Actually, you came in when we are discussing uh, in Uganda we have 
a national coffee platform where the last Thursday of every month, uh, as coffee stakeholders, we discuss about the the practices, what we have learned, and how we can improve each other. So this is what we are moving uh, forward to. One is that uh, we have realized because of climate change that shade-grown coffee has a particular uh, unique taste, uh, but also it is uh, a mitigation to climate change. And this is increasingly coming in. Traditionally, coffee is grown uh, intercropped with the banana plantain, but also uh, coffee is grown as a uh, especially robusta coffee is grown uh, as a forest crop. So we are also looking at uh, some of the uh, shade trees which we can intercrop with the, with the, with the coffee, uh, which comes with some unique taste and aroma. Uh, but also we are looking at productivity part tree, where uh, farmers are increasingly looking at the, the pruning, stamping, and, and also uh, good uh, harvest and post-harvest practices. That increasingly is increasing production and productivity per tree, but is also increasing the quality of coffee uh, produced by the farmer. So uh, Uganda has come up with a new coffee, uh, coffee law, which is emphasizing from crop to cup. And therefore, as Uganda Coffee Development Authority will be uh, supporting and facilitating the farmers, the private sector, and also the buyers and exporters to uh, to actually look at coffee as an origin crop. Uh, we are going to be profiling farmers so that farmers know, uh, the buyers know the source of coffee, which gives them uh, confidence in that traceability system. We are also uh, facilitating the, the the geographical indication system, which to know which we know is a good trading tool for the farmers and the buyers so that they have the connectivity. They know how this coffee has been produced and what conditions. So we, as a government, we continue also to, uh, to look at certification, uh, organic trade, fair trade certification, and also uh, the, uh, the, uh, the Rainforest Alliance certification, which are the private sector aid certification schemes that uh, provides a lot of confidence uh, to the buyers and roasters, but also eventually adds in more premium uh, prices to the farmers. So we are looking at it in totality as Uganda Coffee Development Authority on how we can support the farmers, how we can also uh, ensure that the buyers who are buying from the farmers increasingly have the confidence in the coffee uh, how, based on how it is being produced. I'd like to close our discussion with a look towards the future and where you hope Ugandan coffee will be in China over, say, the next five and ten years. So, Emmanuel, let's get you in your forecast and then also to you, Frandon, on what you're hoping will happen in the next five to ten years. First to you, Emmanuel. We want to have Ugandan coffee in every... Uh, in, especially in the, uh, in the five tier cities, you want to have Ugandan coffee in every, uh, uh, in every uh, prominent chain there, in Costa, in Starbucks. We want to have uh, the presence in the market in each of these uh, stores. Uh, but we also want to make a presence in China uh, uh, in, a, in a more unique way. 
uh, that Ugandan coffee is differentiated from the rest by being a top, a, a to, a top coffee in terms of taste, in terms of quality, in terms of also uh, consistency. So uh, as Uganda, we, we are moving in a very strategic way. We won't be going massive, but we target where the big consumers are in those uh, big cities. We are also in a discussion with the China government on some, some of those areas where uh, Ugandan coffee can enjoy the uh, preferential kind of uh, uh, export quotas. For example, the uh, collaboration with the uh, United Coffee Exchange, which will be a unique platform that will make us available um, uh, in most of these unique high-end uh, markets in China. Brandon, let's get your forecast for what you see coming in the next five to ten years, especially from your experiences on the ground in China and what you're talking about with farmers in Uganda. In, in five to ten years, uh, I see my coffee brands spread across uh, the Asia Pacific, not only China, but uh, South Korea, uh, Singapore, Russia, and uh, many other uh, countries. Also, I would love to see, I, I see my coffees on every biggest coffee shop in China, online coffee shops. I'm talking of uh, Pindodo, uh, Timor, JD, and uh, even the ones that are yet to be developed. Uh, I I would also love to see my coffees in all first-tier cities, uh, talking of uh, all corners of these coffee shops, from Costa Costa Coffee, uh, Luckin, Starbucks, and other Chinese brands. I love the excitement there. What that is ambitious because that's a big market. I and if you're even remotely successful, it's going to suck up every coffee bean that's in Uganda simply because it China is such a big market. So, we wish you the very best in all of the success. I can't wait till I can travel back to China again once we're allowed to and I am going to look for Ugandan coffee and going to tell everybody about Ugandan coffee. The two people trying to make this happen, Dr. Emmanuel Liamulemye, who is the managing director of the Uganda Coffee Development Authority, a government agency that promotes the Ugandan coffee sector, and Frandin Tumukunde, who also, by the way, wrote a fantastic article on the China Africa Project, Can Ugandan Coffee Be the Next Coffee Success Story in China? I will put a link to that in our show notes. Frandon is the Kampala-based farmer who is also the chief marketing officer of Doorstep Foods in Uganda. Thank you both for taking the time to join us today. Very quickly, Frandon, if people want to find out more about Ugandan coffee and where they may be able to find it in their own countries, where can they go to find out information about you and Ugandan coffee? Uh, currently, our coffee is on, is on, is on Taobao, and uh, we're also spreading across other cities, uh, like in Shanghai, Dongguan, Shenzhen, and uh, I'll share the link for Taobao to you. And uh, uh, also, if you're in Guangzhou, we, are also, we also have an agent in Guangzhou who is distributing our coffees, and we are looking at starting uh, roasting fresh more coffees uh, from, from China end. Frandon, Emmanuel, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it, and we wish you the best of luck. Thank you, too. Thank you, too, for hosting us. Welcome. Kobus, you really can't understand how big this market is until you actually have lived in China. It's one of those things where if you read statistics and you read news reports and data, you just can't get it. 
But when you are at a Starbucks in downtown Shanghai and it is 20 people deep and the money just keeps coming in, it never stops. The scale of this market is enormous. And that's why I said at the end, if they're even half successful, that means every coffee bean in Uganda is now dedicated to China, nowhere else. Now, that would be great for for Ugandan farmers, but it's also success can be a challenge too. just, you know, managing the supply chain for all of that. It sounds like they have a very good understanding, though, of the China market, where they're not focusing on China, the country. They're focusing on those tier one cities. Again, that's Beijing, Shanghai, Guangzhou, Shenzhen, Tianjin. Those are the major tier one cities. And then within those tier one cities, they're going for that upper middle class segment of the population. So they're not trying to go for China writ large, but a very, very small slice of that market. Frandon's a guy who really knows his way around. That's very encouraging to see. And to me, it's exciting because this is what I hope the future of the China-Africa relationship is about, about trade, about opportunities, about investment, about creating new value, about empowering people. This, to me, just gets me so excited. Yeah, me too. And also, you know, all of those good things that you mentioned, but also, uh, you know, the the fact that this is an, an Africa-specific crop, it's a high-value crop, it's one where, where Africa already has a, a kind of a, a well-established, um, you know, kind of image of excellence. And, in, in, you know, in, you know, African coffee is some of the most sought after in the world. And, you know, I, you know, I really want this this agricultural sector and, and similar agricultural sectors in Africa to kind of get the love and the respect that they that they deserve, um, and for for all of this to be able to be run sustainably with good agricultural practices and employing lots of lots of local people, like so so you, so if it works well, it will it will be an amazing kind of outcome, I think, for East Africa. Yes and no. I don't fully agree with you that this is an Africa specific crop. Africa is definitely distinctive in the market, but I am living in the country that exports more coffee than anyone else in the world except Brazil. Vietnam is the world's number two coffee exporter. There's amazing coffees out of Indonesia, the Sumatra blends. Brazil is the number one. South America has an enormous amount of varieties and choice, and they also are all competing to get into the China market. So I think we could have done the exact same show with somebody from Ecuador or Chile or, and I'm, not, I'm just making up names of South American countries here because I think they all also want a piece of the market. And you have to have that market knowledge that Frandon has in order to succeed here. Countries like Brazil, they do that. They export in the volumes that China can absorb, so here in Vietnam as well. So it's a very competitive landscape. Africans do not have this market to themselves by any means. Yeah, you know, that's completely correct. And, but, and of course, China is growing its own coffee at the same time. However, I think, you know, the, the, if, if I'm correct, I, uh, um, I remember reading that, that, that Ethiopia is, is the first place where, where people started roasting coffee and kind of processing it in the way that we, that we know it now. You know, so, so there is a, kind of a, a really deep legacy of of, of co- not only coffee production but also coffee culture you know coming coming from from east africa and i think it would be an ama- amazing thing if if east african countries can kind of tap into that legacy as well and find ways of marketing that legacy as well something very interesting crossed the news here just this week in vietnam that relates to the conversation we're having today so trung yun which is a local coffee brand here the number one coffee brand in fact in vietnam they are opening now their own coffee shops around the world. So they've just opened up a new coffee shop in, I think it's called King Cafe in 
uh, Southern California. Of course, that makes sense because there's a large population of overseas Vietnamese. But we talked about moving up the value chain. So not only has Chong Yuen exporting, they've been exporting for many years the raw beans. They also export their own brand, and now they're getting into actual coffee locations. And they're not going to be a competitor to Starbucks. The idea is they want to create a Vietnamese experience in a place like California, in Paris, in Berlin. And I think there's something very interesting to that. And I'd like to see maybe if we talk about African countries like Uganda moving up that value chain rather than just providing the raw beans or the roasted beans, but maybe getting into real overt branding of the beans, the experience, and then maybe one day having a few boutique coffee chains just again to really rally people around what this experience is and why it's different. Yeah, 100%. You know, and exporting exporting the culture and 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 kind of educating people about the culture and then and then kind of replicating that culture in other cities that ends up I think being some of the highest value things one can do in this field, you know. Um and for for the Africans to be able to pull that off would be a, a massive coup. Uh, listen, if you are interested in these topics and you follow China-Africa relations, you're going to want to consider a subscription to our website. We literally archive every story that goes and crosses the wire. Over the past year, we've got now 2,000 stories in the archive. So if you're doing research, you want to have an index of everything that's happened in the China-Africa relationship. This is definitely the place for you. Cobus and I also are doing analysis on things like the agricultural trade. We've been publishing stories every week on the agricultural sector in the China-Africa relationship. It's a deep dive and analysis that you simply will not find anywhere else. We're super proud of that. We'd love for you to try out a subscription. Try it out for 30 days. See if you like it. Plus, we'll throw in, you get the daily newsletter for free, but really you get to come to the site, you get to read the analysis, follow our news feed that we update every single day, and it's a great way to follow what China's doing, not just in Africa, but also throughout the global south. So that'll do it for this edition of the podcast. Kobus and I will be back again next week with another show. Until then, for Kobus van Staden, I'm Eric Olander. Thank you so much for listening. continues online. Head over to facebook.com slash China Africa Project to share your thoughts on today's show. Or follow the guys on Twitter. Eric's at Iolanda, and you can find Kobas at Stadenesk. For more information about the China Africa Project and to sign up for our free weekly email news brief, go to chinaafricaproject.com. <laughs>